you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to ask you to turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. On this Father's Day Sunday, I just wanted us to focus our attention on the great love of our Heavenly Father. And as we think about this passage, certainly we could take this as a model to imitate the Lord, and certainly that's a right way to apply one aspect of this passage. Uh, Ephesians 5 says, be imitators of God. And so the love of God, the love of our Heavenly Father, can serve as a model for us as fathers, as we love our homes and our families. Uh, It can serve as a model for all of us in Christian love, as we love one another. But my purpose in this message today is not necessarily exhortational to encourage you to love the way that God loves us, though that's a good lesson that we need. My point today, really what I want to do is I just want us to contemplate the love of God. I just want us to think on that and, and let that move us. And not so much my words, because my words are going to fail and and fall short, but just the thoughts that the Word of God itself is presenting to us here about the love of God. I pray that the Holy Spirit will take my words and take them much deeper into your heart. And with the Word of God, help you to, to praise God and just really just to stand back and to marvel at who God is. That's a, that's a good application of the Word of God, isn't it? Sometimes when we read the Word of God, when we read the Bible, whether it be in our devotional life or when we come and listen to a sermon, sometimes when we think about applying the Bible, we think about, okay, give me something tangible that I can do. Okay, how can I put this into practice? How can I be a better father or a better mother or a better Christian, a better employee or, or whatever? How can I take this and, and put it into practice in some area of my life. But there are many times in many places in Scripture where the only application is simply to worship God and just to stand back in awe and wonder at who God is and what he has done for us. And I think that's what John wants us to do in these few verses in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. He just wants us to stop and to contemplate, to think about how marvelous the word, the love of God is. And it's almost, the way John writes this, it's almost as if he is falling short of words to know how to describe the love of God. If I could even say it in that way, even though he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is what God wanted him to write. This is the word of God. The Holy Spirit inspired him to write it this way. But it's almost, it comes across as if there was, wish there were more words that I could use to describe how great the love of God is. And so I just want us to think about the great love of our Heavenly Father today. Listen to what John writes in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. 
But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you love us. Thank you for loving us in spite of our unworthiness, our sin, our rebellion, our selfishness, our pride. Thank you for loving us when we were wayward and lost. Thank you for loving us when we were dead in transgressions and sins. Thank you for loving us when we were still your enemies and Christ died for us. Thank you for loving us and sending your son, Jesus, to be our savior, to rescue us from our sins and from condemnation. God, may your spirit take the word of your truth and may he plant it deeply in our hearts and may it move us today to worship you, to know you in a greater way. And may that change who we are and how we live. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. What John shows us in this passage is that our Heavenly Father's love for us is an extravagant love. Our Heavenly Father's love for us is an extravagant love. Verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. I actually like the older translations there that use the word behold. Behold, look at this, stop and look. Put your focus on this here for just a moment. Behold, the great love of God. That he has lavished on us. That's a great word, isn't it? Not just here have some, not just, nor not begrudgingly, well, okay, here, but lavish, right? He is, he is pouring out, super abounding, overflowing more than we actually need. His love is infinite and he pours it out on us. He, it's like uh, we're at a never ending chocolate fountain <laughs> for lack of a better analogy, right? Just uh, strawberries or Cookies, whatever, you know, just, it's just always there, extravagant, just lavished. Don't put a little chocolate on there, put a lot of chocolate on there. His love is just overpouring, lavished on us. So much so that we should be called the children of God. And almost as in astonishment, John says, and that is what we are. It's almost incomprehensible that, that we Think about who we are and who we were. Sinners. Rebels against God. And by the way, if we don't understand, if we don't, by the Holy Spirit showing us this, if we don't come to see ourselves as wicked, ruined, fallen, dead, condemned sinners, first, we will never understand the gospel But then also, we can never comprehend the love of God that John is telling us about here. In order to really grasp, even in a small way, the great extravagant love of God for us, 
we have to understand our unworthiness. That we were completely lost. We were, as Isaiah 53 says, we were like sheep. Everyone turned to his own way. By nature, we are children of wrath. By nature, we are hell-bent on fulfilling our own pleasures and desires. And John says, and God made us his children. Isn't that an incredible thought? To try to put it in human terms that we can understand. Imagine someone who had done to you or to your family an incredibly horrific sin, an incredibly horrific crime against you or against your family. And you say, I'm going to forgive that person. How hard would it be for us as human beings to forgive that person? But then to go over and above that and you say, in order to forgive that person, I'm going to send my own son to die in the place, to take the place. This person deserves wrath. This person deserves punishment. But I'm going to send my son to take his place. So that this person who wronged me will not face punishment. That's incomprehensible. But then to take that same person that you have just given your son to rescue them. And now you can say of them not guilty. You are acquitted. You are declared innocent. And then to not only say that, but then to say, now I want to adopt you into my family. You just can't put that in in human thoughts, can you? That God would do that for us. That he would take his enemies, those who had committed treason against him, and that he would willingly give the greatest sacrifice that he could in the person of his own son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us, but then over and above that, then to make us his own children, sons and daughters of God. That's why John says, that's what we are. Isn't that unimaginable? Isn't that incomprehensible? that we are the children of God. I pulled up a hymnal up up to the pulpit with me because I wanted to read one of the verses that we sang a little while ago because this is one of the best poetic descriptions of the love of God, I think. He says, Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Just think about that. Okay, All of the oceans are ink. The whole sky... The whole atmosphere, all sky, all the way around the earth is a a piece of paper, is a parchment. And every stalk on earth a quill, every tree, every, every upright stalk, everything that grows, anything that can be made a stick is a pen. And every man on earth, seven billion people, every man, by trade, by occupation is a trained scribe. To write the love of God above on that never-ending sky would drain the ocean dry. So there wouldn't be enough ink in the ocean to write the love of God. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, the whole sky, the whole atmosphere, the sky all the way around the world could not contain all the words that need to be written describing the love of God. Those stretch from sky to sky. 
That's the extravagant love of God. His love for us is an extravagant love. Our Heavenly Father's love for us is an empathetic love. Our Heavenly Father's love for us is an empathetic love. Empathy. Sharing in our condition. Sharing in our sufferings. Understanding our condition. He says in verse number one, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world. And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Jesus was rejected by his own people. He was rejected by the Jews, rejected by the people of Nazareth with whom he grew up. He was rejected of people. As Isaiah 53 says, there was nothing in him that should cause us to desire him. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We considered him to be stricken by God, punished by God, afflicted by him. We wanted nothing to do with him. Jesus understands the ridicule, the rejection, the persecution of the world. He endured it himself. They, the world, did not know Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Their creator was standing in front of them, and they did not recognize him. And they rejected him. And they put him on a Roman cross and crucified him. And Jesus said to his apostles right before he died, and his disciples continue to teach the message throughout the New Testament, that just as the world treated Jesus, so also will the world treat you. And so we are greatly loved by God, but remember that we are also greatly hated by the world. What you're seeing on the news and the vitriol, the the hateful comments that are being made toward Christians that is increasing in our culture should not surprise us. Should not surprise us at all. According to the New Testament, that should be the expectation that the world will hate believers in Jesus. But remember this, God loves us and we have a high priest who is sympathetic, empathetic with us because he too endured that hatred. And even though the world does not know us, it doesn't know him either. And in that, we are unified together with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. So take courage even in the midst of the world hating you, that you're in God, in Christ. And that Christ understands your suffering. We have a Heavenly Father who loves us with an empathetic love. Our Heavenly Father loves us with an enduring love. Our Heavenly Father loves us with an enduring love. He says in verse 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Meaning that God's love for us 
is not temporary. He has a future in store for us, doesn't he? He has a future in store for us. John tells us here, we don't know exactly what we will be. We don't know exactly how it's going to unfold. But we do know this, that when Christ comes back, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, when Jesus rose from the dead, he became the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He has become the firstborn from among the dead. He will be the the new pattern of resurrection that all of his people will follow when they are resurrected from the grave. And we will be like Jesus. We will receive resurrection, glorified, transformed bodies to be like that of Christ's resurrected body. Never more to die again. There is a future in store for the children of God. The children of God, our status as children of God is not just for now. It's not just for this world. It is for all of eternity, isn't it? It is an enduring love that the Father will never let fade away. How hard is it for us to love people and to keep that love burning and consistent and faithful? It's impossible, right? From a human perspective, even the person on earth that we love the most, our love ebbs and flows, doesn't it? There are times when we're not very loving. There are times when, when we're not very good to that person that we say that we love the most. God's love never fails, never changes, never ebbs or flows. It is constant, it is perfect, and it is never ending. He will finish what he has started. And that's encouraging, isn't it? That's encouraging. And so off of that same idea of the enduring love of God, that love is an encouraging love. It's an encouraging love. It gives us hope, doesn't it? It gives us hope. It gives us a future to long for. And in the midst of a world that doesn't like us, verse 1, the world doesn't know us, the world hates us. In the midst of a world that doesn't know us, that hates us, it is encouraging to have an abiding love of God with us and for us. Encouraging love. But then look at how John finishes in verse 3. He says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. God's love for us is empowering or energizing. It's empowering. God's love motivates us, doesn't it? God's love motivates us to live for him. John says, all who have this hope, what hope? The hope of the future, the hope of being the children of God forever and ever, the hope of being transformed to be like Christ when we see him as he is. That hope that God gives us motivates us, empowers us, energizes us to live for him in this world, to purify ourselves. We are purified as children of God. We have We have been sanctified. We've been set apart by God. We've been cleansed by Christ. But there is also a process of purifying, isn't there? 
There's a process of cleansing. So at the point that we were saved by Christ and and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we were then sanctified and set apart from the world unto God. But then from that point on, there is a growing progressive work of sanctification going on in which we continue to purify ourselves and to live more and more in holiness as the Lord's Word and His Holy Spirit teaches us. Where do we get the, the motivation? Where do we get the energy? Where do we get the, the empowerment to live a holy life? It's the love of God, and specifically in this passage, it's the future hope that we have that empowers us to live the Christian life. We seek to be like Christ now in his character because one day we will be like Christ in glory. What God is doing for us now, God's will for us now, Romans 8, 29, is to conform us to the image of his son. He is conforming us to be like Christ, and one day that project, that sanctification project, will be finished, and we will be perfected in glory. That hope motivates us. It empowers us. That's a great love, isn't it? That's a great love. An extravagant love that is almost beyond words. An empathetic love that understands what we're going through in the hardships of this world, specifically for the sake of Christ. An enduring love that never fails, that never lets us down and will carry us into eternity. An encouraging love that gives us hope, that gives us joy in the present and an empowering love that motivates us to live for God in the present, knowing the hope that is coming. Today, my prayer is simply this, that you'll just stop and meditate on the love of God and be blown away by it. And that you could say like John, behold, or maybe in more 21st century, a word, wow. That is awesome. That God would love us like that. What a great love of God. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, you are so good. You are good beyond description. Your love for us is completely and overwhelmingly perfect and good. We in no way deserved your love. There was nothing that we could have done to make us worthy of it. Out of your own goodness, out of of your own merciful heart, you chose to shower, to lavish your love upon us, to call us to yourself, to give us new birth, and to make us children, sons and daughters of God. We thank you, Father, for the love that you've given to us. May your love continue to hold us close draw near to us as we draw near to you. May your love continue to encourage and empower us as we seek to live for you. And God, thank you that we can enjoy your love, not only today, but for all of eternity. God bless your people today. And may our vision of you and your greatness and your goodness, your love to us, may that vision be enlarged. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen.